Luke chapter 9, verse 18 says, Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others said, Elijah, and others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Let's take a look this morning at Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 uh, this morning. Decisions aren't always easy. Uh, sometimes decisions can be difficult decisions. Here's a decision that, that maybe you would struggle with, maybe you wouldn't struggle with. Would you rather have $800 or $75 billion? It's kind of a, a tough call. Ronald Wayne is probably a guy that would probably prefer not being famous. Uh, back in the 70s, he worked for Atari. Anybody remember Atari? The, the, those were the great days. Uh, the, the, he worked for Atari. Uh, after that, uh, he started his own slot machine company. It didn't go super well. And then he started a business with two guys named Steve. Uh, he put a little bit of money in, and uh, they put in a little bit of money, and together they started a, a company. Um, turned out to be Apple Computers. Uh, Twelve days after he put his $800 in, he said, you know what, I don't think this is for me. And he asked for his money back. Uh, people who look into these types of things, I'm pretty sure it's not Ron, uh, people who look into these kinds of things say, listen, if he had kept his $800 in, today it would have grown to $75 billion. We don't always know with the big decisions that we're making. We don't even know those kinds of decisions. And, and Ronald Wayne, he kind of describes the reasons why he made the decision that he did. And it was right and it was good uh, for his family. It protected him from some risk that he could see that was developing in that uh, situation. And so, so he, is, he, he is confident in his decision. But those decisions, those moments where we come to a fork in the road and there is an opportunity, there's a choice in front of us that is a large choice, sometimes it's hard to see those moments. And sometimes it's hard to get those decision points right. We see that with the disciples in this passage of Scripture. They, they are in the process of, of, of learning the things about Jesus and they are still in that learning process. How do they make sure that when those moments, when those decisions, when those choices come, that they make that right to choice and decision in their life? Well, what we're discovering about the disciples, what we can see with our own eyes and we understand from the revealing of Scripture, is that they are in a learning process. They are in the process of spiritual growth. And because they are learning, they don't have it all together yet. But because they are learning, they are moving in the right direction. This is what my prayer for you is this morning. It is that I don't pray that you would have it all right and all perfect because I would be really jealous of you if you did. But what I pray is that you are moving to greater spiritual understanding, greater spiritual depth, and greater spiritual vitality in your own life. And so this morning, I want to take a look at this decision moment, this choice moment from the lens of spiritual growth. Are you ready? 
Well, good, we're going to go ahead anyways. Uh, the, the first thing that I want you to see this morning is that spiritual growth requires reflection and what we might call mental bandwidth. People have studied these things, and, and there are people who have studied it, and they have determined and they revealed to us that the average person has 70,000 thoughts every day. 70,000 thoughts every day. Now, what I think is funny about this is I found another study that says the average person has 6,000 thoughts every day. <laughs> so some of you all have 70,000 thoughts every day. Some of you have 6,000 thoughts every day. I'm not sure which, where you are on that spectrum. Another study tells us that the average person, most people, that they can have up to four thoughts simultaneously at the same time. I think that's sometimes why we're confused sometimes, but you can hold four thoughts. Now, some people can hold more than that. Some people may hold a little bit less than that. Now, the reason why I bring all of that up is whether you have 70,000 thoughts in a day, whether you have 6,000 thoughts in a day, whether you have four thoughts at once, the question that I want us to think about is how many of those thoughts have we given to spiritual things in the last week? 70,000 thoughts every single day. 6,000 thoughts every single day. Four thoughts in a moment. In the last seven days, how much time have we given to reflection and mental bandwidth, concentration, focus on spiritual things? The reason why I bring this up is because the passage deals with it in a couple of different places. One, it tells us that as Jesus was praying by himself, you know what that is? That's giving his heart and his mind to prayer. And of course, you all know that Jesus is God. And so prayer is our coming before the Father, the Heavenly Father in prayer. And if Jesus, who is God himself, if he requires to spend time and mental energy and focus in prayer, whoo, you and I probably need it as well. And so what I, what I like about this is that sometimes it tells us that Jesus would go away to a quiet place to pray, and off he would go. But here in this passage of Scripture, he tells us that he was praying by himself with the disciples. What that tells us is that you can be in a crowd of people and be having a vibrant and alive prayer time. In fact, sometimes that's what we need to do. Sometimes we have the opportunity, sometimes we have the privilege to go to a really quiet, sacred, special place and go there and pray. Sometimes we are surrounded with a bunch of kids at school. Sometimes we're surrounded in a workplace, in a family, in a situation, whatever it may be. But Jesus gives us the example of being able to step away in prayer even while he is with a group of people. Spiritual growth is going to require that we learn how to, whether it is in isolation or in a chaotic environment, that we learn how to reflect and in our mind pay attention to the things of God. But we also see in this passage of Scripture that Jesus is praying alone with his disciples, and then he turns to the disciples and has a question. And the question that he asks the disciples is, so what do you hear? What's the, what's the word on the street, or in, and maybe in this case, what's the word on the hillside? Who, who, who do people say that I am? What is the word? What's the conversation that we, people are having? Now, what I want you to see here is this is Jesus leading them in 
to a conversation, a thought process about theological things. Stop. Think theologically just for a moment. What are some of the options of how to see what's in front of you right now? What is it that the people that you talk to, what is it that the world, what is it that the smart people, what is it that the regular people, what is it that they are saying about Jesus? Now, I think what's interesting here is that their conclusion is a bunch of different answers. Well, Jesus, some people say you're Elijah. Some people say you're one of the prophets. Some people say that you're John the Baptist. Some people say that you are one of the old prophets of old that has been raised to dead, raised from the dead. Any of those things true? Not really. Not really. And Jesus is having them wrestle with some things, even some things that aren't true. But what he says is, put your hands on it. Think about it. Give it some consideration. And here's what I think is important. None of those things that the disciples were hearing on the street was true. But they needed to put their hands on it and process it. And think about it, because God isn't afraid of those things, because when you put truth next to him, truth is going to win. But what was on the street, what was the word on the street is something is happening here. There is something about Jesus that is giving the same kind of evidence that God has broken into this world in some kind of remarkable, amazing way. Now, did they get the answer right in the end? No. Jesus was more than Elijah. He was more than John the Baptist. He wasn't the one who was uh, one of the old prophets. He was God himself. But one of the things that Jesus is nudging them to do is, think about this. What, what does, what does Jesus' presence, his ministry, what does it mean? Don't just ride along for the free lunch. But think about this. What does this mean theologically? I think it's important for them to wrestle with these questions. And I would say to you, don't be afraid to ask big questions. Where did we come from? Where do we go when we die? What is the meaning of God becoming flesh and dwelling amongst us? Those are big questions. And spiritual growth requires us to think through big questions. And it's okay to listen and to think about what other people are saying. It's okay because it helps us to sharpen our mind in contrast. God is not afraid of that. But what I would say is that you pay attention and give weight to the remarkable things of God. The, the, the crowd was wrong. He was not John the Baptist. He was not Elijah. But what the crowd was right about was something significant is happening in this place, and it is from God. All of that meant that they were spending time in some spiritual reflection and some mental bandwidth committed to the things of God. But I would also tell you that spiritual growth requires a personal conclusion. Spiritual growth requires a spiritual, a personal conclusion. Now, if in the next 90 seconds, this is a response that you need to make a decision, if the next 90 seconds 
the fire alarm goes off in the building here. The, the lights, the little lights that you see on the sides of the building here, that they start flashing. Now, here's a decision that you have to make. You have to make a decision. Is this a crisis and we all need to head for the doors that are clearly marked, as you can see here and here, uh, that you can do it? Is that a decision that you have to make? Or do you say, oh, man, the stuff broke again and it's another false alarm? You ever been in a place where the alarm goes off and everyone just kind of keeps doing what they're doing? Because their assumption is, oh, it's a false alarm. It is more likely to be false than it is real. Let me try something else. If I were to tell you that under one of the chairs fastened to the bottom of the chair, one of these chairs, I may or may not have left $10,000. You have a decision to make. Now, I'm surprised none of you all fell on your knees and crawled under there to take a look right now. But some of you may, just as the service goes on, just kind of reach back there, and I'm going to be watching you, reach back there to see. He's probably not telling the truth. He's probably just using this as a sermon illustration. But what if it was my seat? And it may be that one of you stays at the end of service and crawls underneath every single one of these chairs. Because here is a piece of information. Whether it be an alarm or whether it be the rumor of money, you have to make a decision, what do I believe about this? And here's the thing, even a non-decision is a decision. Even to say, you know what, because I think here's my reality is, well, I don't want to be the first person that gets on the ground looking for the money. I don't want to make a fool of myself in that way. And so maybe see, I'm going to sit this one out. I haven't sat it out. I've made a decision. I've made a decision not to do this. So Jesus asks the disciples, hey, fellas, what are all those people out there saying about me? Well, some people say you're Elijah. Some people you say John the Baptist. Say you're the return of one of the prophets. Interesting. Good conversation. And then Jesus turns it and says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Because this is no longer philosophical. This is no longer a, a polling agency of what is the word on the street, but what is the word in your heart? And spiritual growth needs to spend some time thinking and meditating and reflecting on spiritual information. But if it only meditates and reflects Without coming to a personal conclusion, it's never going to go anywhere. And so Jesus says to those disciples, who do you say that I am? Now Peter, he boldly speaks and says, you are the Christ of God. You are the Messiah from God. You are the promised one. You are the one that we have been waiting for. The way the Gospels are written, this statement of Peter's is kind of the central point in almost all of the Gospels. This revealing where it transitions from the disciples being learners, even though they've been sent out, it is at this point point that Jesus' identity is public. And he says, you are the Christ. And that's what Peter understands. 
Now, I spent a little bit of time this week trying to understand how dramatic of a moment was this for Peter. Uh, Was this a giant leap, or was he just saying out loud what everybody else already knew and understood? Well, we can't really have eyesight onto that. But one of the things that I thought was interesting, in in John chapter 1, we have the moment in which Peter is introduced to Jesus for the first time. He is introduced to Jesus by his brother Andrew. And Andrew says, Peter, you've got to come meet this guy because he is the Christ of God. The first time Peter ever meets Jesus, he is introduced says. He's the Christ. And now, all of these months and a couple of years later, there is this moment when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? That Peter says, you are the Christ of God. Now, Peter has had that introduction since the first time that he met Jesus. We don't necessarily know when Peter understood that to be true for himself. You see, it was his brother Andrew that said it before. But at some point in time, it's got to transition from being Andrew's conviction to being Peter's conviction. And then there needs to come a time in which Peter speaks it out loud. And he says it in public. And he makes it his commitment and his conviction. Whether Peter understood this and believed this sometime prior to this or not, I don't know. But in this moment, he says it out loud. We've talked about this recently, that there is a spiritual strength to saying things out loud. There is a spiritual strength to making things public, to making things uh, a known conviction in your life. Whether it's becoming a follower of Jesus for the first time, whether it's baptism, whether it's becoming a member of the church, something about saying that out loud to other people gives depth and strength to that. And in this moment, Peter makes that personal conclusion and says, I know that you are the Christ of God. It's a great moment. But the next thing that we see here is that spiritual growth requires a teachable spirit. Now again, there are surprises all the way through the text, but here is the moment when when Peter, the leader of the group, says out loud, you are the Christ of God. You are the one that we've been looking for. You are the one that has been sent by God. You are the one that holds the keys to everything. You're the one. Now, you would think at this moment, you'd have a parade You'd hire a band. I mean, this is a great moment. And you know what Jesus says? Shh. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Now, I think if I were a disciple, there might be a little part of me that's annoyed at this moment. Jesus, I am so confused. You've been trying to get us to understand these these conclusions. Finally, Peter gets the right answer. He speaks on our behalf. You are the Christ of God. This is the most exciting news. We've got it here. And you tell us not to tell anybody. The reason is because there are still some things the disciples don't know. 
there are still some things that the disciples don't know. In fact, here's a spiritual discipline that you and I need to continue to grow and to cultivate in our own lives. To be able to know inside of our heart that there are still some things that we don't know. That there are still some places that we have to grow, whether they be factual, whether they be maturity, whether they just be insight, whether they be wisdom, whether they just be things that we will never understand in this world so we shouldn't expect to understand in this world. But there is a spiritual discipline of understanding and knowing what the limits to our understanding and knowledge are. We don't understand all of it. In fact, Jesus says, don't tell anyone because disciples, there are some things that you do not know or understand. And in fact, there are some things that if you were to speak, the people you're speaking to will not know or understand what you're talking about. And he gives an immediate, for instance, yes, he is the Christ, but here's what it means to be the Christ, not to be this military victor, to be this king, to be this political rescuer. But what he is going to be is that he's going to suffer. He's going to be handed over. He's going to be rejected by all the people who know. And he's going to die. This moment of victory you are the Christ. You are the promised one. You are the one who's going to solve all of it. Jesus says, yes, and that's going to mean that I'm going to die. And then he also says, and three days later, I'll be raised. At this point in time, those disciples do not understand any of those words. In fact, Peter who has just said, you are the Christ, you are the one who's from God, you're the one who holds the keys to everything. He pulls Jesus aside and says, Jesus, this whole thing about being rejected, this whole thing about dying, this whole thing about being crucified, listen, this is not going to work. You know, just as your PR agent here, this, this is not going to work. Stop, stop talking about this. This is not the way to win hearts and minds. And in fact, Luke doesn't cover it in this gospel, but the other gospels say that Jesus says to Peter, get behind me. Satan, because this is what he needs to do. You see, there are some times that we don't know all of it. And we need wisdom and instruction from above. Every once in a while you'll see on the news that a person who is flying a plane has some type of a medical incident while they're flying the plane. Not a great thing. Not a great moment. As far as I know, it's never happened to me when I was up in an airplane. But the news story every once in a while is that one of the passengers moves from the back of the plane and sits in the front of the plane. And the first thing they say is, I've never sat here before. I don't know how to do this. And what they do is they call air traffic control. And somebody up in that tower says, okay, I'm going to tell you the things that you don't know. I'm going to give you the instructions that you don't currently understand. And if you will listen to me, we will land this plane. Listen, you and I go through this life sometimes <laughs> like the passenger sitting in the pilot's seat. 
And the only way we're going to be able to land this plane, if we get a word and we get wisdom from somebody who knows more and sees more than we, than we do. In fact, it's really interesting in this passage, we, we have these stepstones of authority. The first question is, who do the crowds say that I am? Interesting, but the lowest level of authority. The second question of importance is, who do you say that I am? But the most important question is, who does God say that Jesus is? And that's the one that matters over everything else, to listen to that word. You and I need to continue to remain teachable in our spirit because there are things that we do not understand yet. Some of that will come in our own spiritual growth. Some of those will come when we get to heaven and he teaches us in person. But we need to continue to be teachable so that the spirit of God can continue to speak truth into our lives. So what does this mean uh, for us today? What's the application uh, for us today? One of the things is to decide. <laughs> One of the things is to decide, to make that choice that here is Jesus. What are you going to do with that? You're, you're either going to believe or you're not going to believe. In fact, it's interesting that in this passage when it talks about that Jesus says that he would be rejected by the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. The word there for rejected is not just cast aside, but it is the idea that, they, that Jesus is weighed and evaluated and considered. And so in this passage of Scripture, you have people that are there before Jesus, see who Jesus is, and says, I am with Jesus. And there's also inside of this passage of Scripture, the statement that says people are going to think about it, look at this, and come to the conclusion, I am not with Jesus. Just like we talked about whether there was really Monday under the chairs or not or whether there's a fire alarm that's real or not. You have to make a decision. Is the story of Jesus, the reality of Jesus, the person of Jesus, is that real and worthy of your life? Or are you deciding in this moment that it's not real and he's not worthy. That's the choice. That's the decision that's before you. This morning I would tell you not to make the same kind of mistake in this kind of moment that said I'd rather have my $800 back rather than the $75 billion. Don't make a short sighted decision. Choose Jesus then I would just tell you that those of you who have made that choice to choose Jesus above everything else, lean into that choice. Lean in to that decision and that commitment that you have made. That is where you stand. You are the Christ of God. You are the key. You are the one that I believe in. You are the one who, have, who has my heart. Lean in.
live under that decision.